Welcome to Connection Church's podcast. This message is part three in the four-part series, Are You Asking the Right Question? This week, Brandon asked the question, how much is it going to cost? At the end of the day, how much are we truly willing to surrender to God? Are you excited to be here this morning? Amen. Amen. Well, God is here, and, and I believe he's got a good word for you today. First of all, before I get going, I want to um, just take a minute. I want to tell you a little bit um, about the worship team that's here every Sunday because they absolutely amaze me. Their hearts for God and what you see up here is just a small part of their heart for God. Um, last Sunday, we had uh, Luke who plays uh, electric guitar in the band. He had his wisdom teeth out on, I think it was Friday. Yes, he had his wisdom teeth cut out on Friday. So on Sunday, he was at home. No, he was up here playing guitar on Sunday after having his wisdom teeth out on Friday. Now, he doesn't remember any of it, but he was here and he was playing guitar. And that is absolutely amazing me. Uh, Dana and Andy, uh, Luke's mom and dad, and then and Luke, they drive about an hour to get here every Sunday. But that's the kind of commitment that they have to worshiping and to leading you into the presence of God. Yesterday, Sean Fox, the animal, the drummer, um, he plays up here. Yesterday, he was puking his guts out, so don't get close to him. But this, this is like, we'll have to Lysol the entire drum cage. But he was sick as he could be, headache. His blood pressure was 180 over like 105. So we're glad he didn't check out on us. But but he's here today playing drums, and I just want to say that. I'm not, listen, this is not to glorify anybody above God, but I just want you to know how much I appreciate these guys and this band and just appreciate everything that they're doing. Let's give them, thank you. Their commitment is amazing. They're up here on Wednesday nights, sometimes for three hours, just trying to get it down where they can play it in a way that honors God. And I'm just so thankful for that. So I just wanted to mention that to you today. Um, we've been doing a series called... There it is. Are you asking the right questions? Um, and, and what we're looking at is if we're going to fulfill the vision that God's given us for our life, if we're going to fulfill the vision that God's given this church, there are certain questions we need to be asking. The first one was we looked at who. Who is it that can accomplish the vision? Who is it that can accomplish the vision for your life, for, our, for this church? Um, who's it going to be? And then we looked at the fact that that is the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is the arm of God, that strong arm of God that begins to move things and put things in place in our life and in, in the church. And so we began to look at that. Last week, we asked the question, what? And that, that question is, what do we really want? If we don't really know what we want, it's going to be hard to get to where we're supposed to be. If, we're, if our desires don't line up with God's desires, then it's going to be hard for us to ever end up where God wants us to be. And so that's where we've been going. And today we're going to look at the next question, which is how. And this is to ask the question, how much is it going to cost? And how much am I willing to give? That's a tough question. It's like you already start squirming in your seat because you're like, oh, crap, here comes another message on like, I've got to give up everything. Well, yeah, no, it's not that bad, I promise. I hope that by the end of the message today, we'll be looking at this in a little bit of a different way. But what I want to do to you, right, do to you, it's going to be punishment, I promise. 
What I want to do right now is give you a little background on the scripture we're about to read. If you remember last week, we looked at the man who was begging by the gate, beautiful, and he was laying there. He'd been lame for years and years and years. And then Peter and John are walking up to go to the temple during the hour of prayer. And they're walking along and the beggar, he's begging, he's begging, he's begging. And Peter and John look at him and they say, you know, and Peter says, look at me. And it says that he looked at him expecting to receive something, but he was expecting to receive a handout. And so Peter says, silver and gold, I have none, but what I have, I give to you. Now stand up and walk. Peter gets up and he walks and and Jesus heals him and everything is great, right? Until you get to chapter four and God's moving in these awesome ways and they begin to persecute Peter. They begin to persecute John. They bring them in and that's where we're about to pick up so that the healing is happening. God is moving in mighty ways. The Holy Spirit's doing things. The disciples know what they really want. They really want to serve God. They want to be committed to God. And yet here we come in chapter four, verses 18 through 20. And we're going to pick up there. They called them in. They're about to just um, persecute them. They're about to demand that they no longer speak in the name of Jesus. And so verse 18 says this, then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Let's pray. God, I just ask you right now in this moment that you would anoint your word. God, that it would sink deep into our hearts. God, that it would be fun today. That, God, your spirit would just enliven the word. That, God, we would be challenged and convicted, and yet we'd be encouraged all at the same time. Just let your word, God, we we ask you to have your way in us today with your word. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, when I read this, I'm absolutely amazed. Here these um, guys are, these disciples and these apostles, and they go and they do this amazing healing. And then the next thing you know, they're being persecuted. So they bring them in, they threaten them. I mean, they've just seen what they did to Jesus, right? They hung him on a cross, one of the worst deaths you could possibly die. And they call him in and they say, do not speak in this name anymore. Do not do these miracles. Stop it now. And their reply is judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God for we cannot help but speaking of the things of God. Can you imagine? Is that, would that be our reply? Is that how you would reply? Or would you, I'd probably just be like, okay, and, and leave and then maybe not stop. But they're just there. There's no other option for them. Listen, they don't know any other way to live other than 100% sold out for Jesus Christ. There's no other option. I mean, think about it. They had given up their foundation of the religion that they had followed all of their lives. They'd given all that up. It cost them their, their heritage. They'd given it up. It cost them their jobs, remember? A lot of them were fishermen and Jesus would come by and you know there was something amazing about Jesus when he could walk by somebody out there with their father doing the business that they were, had been doing for their entire life and he says, drop your nets and follow me. And they're just like, okay. And they just get up and leave. But they left businesses for three and a half years. Many of them had left wives and children to follow Jesus because they knew there was no other option. I mean, when Jesus looked at the people, there was a huge crowd and he said, 
If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. It says that many of them left. They deserted him. And then he turns to the 12 and says, do you want to go too? And Peter says, Lord, where will we go? You're the one that holds the truth. They knew there was no other option. There was no other possibility for their life. And I wonder, do we live that way? See, I think part of our problem is that we have too many options. We haven't got to the point yet where disobeying God's word is no longer an option. No matter how much it costs, is it the only option? So I wanna ask you this, how much will it cost you? How much are you willing to give and how much will you receive in return? We've got a little testimony I wanna show you guys here. This is Bo Davidson, a good friend of mine who God has blessed me to get to know. And I just want you to hear a little bit about Bo's story. I guess, you know, before, before uh, I found Christ, uh, a lot of people would have thought I had a pretty good life. You know, on the outside, my life looked really, you know, looked really good. Um, but the, the reality was, is pretty much every morning I woke up wanting to be done, to be over with. I, uh, I woke up without hope. I mean, I had everything I wanted and anyone could have wanted, and I was miserable. Today, my life is completely different. I don't earn nearly the amount of money I used to earn. All the things that I used to think were important and the things I thought would make me happy, I've come to realize don't. Every morning, every day, I make a decision that I'm going to live that day for Christ. I try and keep it real simple, too. Um, just, just love God love other people that's helped me to become um, a person that, 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 that I want to be around you know that's a big difference I like being around me today and I didn't before there's nothing that I have done other than be willing to submit to a power greater than myself submit to um, our Lord and, and, and his his commandments I have found happiness in serving others. I have found joy in helping other people have joy. I am today, (laughs) in this day and age, I am broker than I have ever been in my life. But I am happier than I've ever been. I feel closer to Christ than I've ever felt in my whole life. I just, I live totally in the grace of God. I have no idea what's going to happen each day. But it seems like every day there seems to be some, some, some wonderful blessings. Bo, thank you. I just... <clears throat> thank you for your life. Thank you for your testimony and the way you let God use you. You have no idea how many people God is impacting through Bo's life. Everybody he comes into, talk, talk, into contact with um, just recognizes his heart for God and his heart for them. He genuinely loves people. And so thank you, Bo, for that. You know, I was thinking about this and one of the awesome things about a surrendered life, one of the awesome things about the apostles was that when they began to surrender to God, when they began to live for God, it became the greatest evidence of the truth of the resurrection that there was. See, these were the same people. Y'all look... Look here, these are the same people 
These were the same ones who deserted him in the Garden of Gethsemane. When they came and arrested him, they all, they all disappeared. They all left. They were gone. Nowhere to be found. And yet something happens. Something causes them to get to a point where they wouldn't desert him even when their lives were threatened. Even when their lives were threatened, they wouldn't desert him. There was something that happened. They saw the risen Christ. They saw the evidence that he was still alive. And because of that, their lives became evidence that he was still alive. And I think about that and I wonder about that because I wonder, does our life show evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does our life show evidence of that? When people look at our lives, do they go, man, there's got to be a God because of the way I know, the way they live. That is awesome. I see it. When they look at us, do they see that? Is there a difference in us and in the world? Is there a confidence in us that doesn't exist when you're confident in yourself? What does that look like? Is Is there evidence in our lives that is proof that Jesus is who he says he is. We need to think about that question. We need to ponder that. And what does that look like anyway? What does surrender really look like? I mean, it's kind of hard. It's one of those things where, I don't know if you're like me, you hear the word surrender and it doesn't exactly make you real excited. It doesn't make you go, yes, I love surrendering. I love giving up. It's the best thing I've ever done. I love to give up. That doesn't happen to us. But see, I believe we've applied the, the world's definition, the world's understanding of surrender to God. And it's not that way at all. Remember, Jesus came and he flipped everything upside down so that now surrender means something totally different to us when it comes to God. Does it cost us something? Yes. But is it worth it? Yes. See, we've looked at it so negatively for so long. I mean, does this mean that, that to surrender to God, does it mean that we have to sell everything we own? Does it mean that we have to like just get a, a suitcase, pack enough clothes in it to last us a while and we just start walking down the road? I mean, how much is enough? What do we have to surrender? What does it look like? Can you put a tangible evidence on it to say that is a person who has surrendered to Christ? Does that make sense? You can't, it's so hard to even define it. I talked with people this week about it. I was like, how do we define whether or not we're surrendered? And so we began to pray, we began to seek, and we began to look. And I felt like the Lord dropped this in my heart. A surrendered life is affected and it becomes effective. A surrendered life is affected and it becomes effective. What begins to happen is God touches our heart. Would you say that God has touched your heart at some point in time? God touches your heart and it begins to affect you. It begins to change you. It begins to do something inside of you that nobody else can do. I promise you, you know, that boyfriend or girlfriend you had when you were 13 or 14 years old, they affected you, but it's not the same way as God. The boyfriend or girlfriend you may have now, they may touch your heart, but it's not the same as when God touches your heart. It's different. 
It changes you at the core. I remember the weekend that I gave my life really to Christ. I said, God, I'm yours from now on. You take me where you want me to go. And I remember standing under the streetlight and everybody was laughing because I'm like, I'm changing this, I'm changing that, I'm changing this, I'm changing that. And they were like, oh man, you'll be doing all that again in six months. And we were kind of like going back. I was like, I know I won't. They're like, how do you know? I said, I know I've been changed. There is something that's happened at the core of my being that I will be different. It's not that I'll be perfect, but I'll be different. See, I was affected by Christ. I was affected by the power of the Holy Spirit that touched my life and lifted all these burdens, all the, broke all these chains off of me. And I was never the same again, and I will never be the same again. I can say that 100% with confidence because I know the risen Christ. And I'm never gonna be the same because he has touched my life. And there are so many of you who sit here today with the same testimony that I have, that God touched me and I have been different ever since. So we become affected. The touch of God in our life affects our life. The next thing then is we become effective. We become effective. It's like becoming infectious. You get, you get contagious. And then you become effective for the kingdom of God. You begin to change other people's lives. And I believe this is the picture of a surrendered life, that you are affected and then you begin to affect others. Other people come into the knowledge of Christ because of you. Because of you, the Holy Spirit working in you. Because your life was affected, you were filled with the Spirit of God, then others begin to find what you found. Others begin to change. See, I believe that we can begin to look at this. Is my life, this is questions we can ask ourselves, is my life affecting other people for the kingdom of God? When people are around me, do I help them get closer to Christ? Are people coming to me, are people coming to me to seek wisdom from God? Are people being born again? Are they being brought into the kingdom because of the way I live my life because I've been affected. Are people being born again? See, here's the thing is that if we were to say, how many of you have ever led someone to the Lord? How many of you have ever prayed the sinner's prayer with somebody and led them to Christ? There'd be very few hands that would actually go up. And, but I want to encourage, this is not a slam. This is an encouragement. God wants to use you to affect people's eternity. He wants you to be effective, bringing people to an eternal destiny that is with him. So that we're, man, what an awesome opportunity. See, we don't have to lead people to Christ. We get to lead people to Christ. You see the difference in that? I had to do a wedding this week. Man, I'm telling you, I didn't have to. I got to. And so um, I did this wedding. And I want to tell you, nothing makes me more nervous than doing weddings and funerals. And the whole reason for that is you get one shot at it. I blow a sermon. I blow a sermon, man, I got next Sunday, you know? There might be something during the week that I get to speak. I blow that, man, I can get right back on the horse. But, buddy, when you do a wedding, hopefully it's the only one that they're going to have. And while, while the groom is there, and he's been thinking about the wedding for like five minutes, the bride has been thinking about this since she was able to put on a princess dress. And she's been thinking, Sienna has already thought about her wedding, okay? She, you may think she just lays there and eats and sleeps. She has thought about her wedding. And so we come to a place of having to realize that, man, if I mess this up, the groom's cool. 
He's like, all right, whatever. I thought it was supposed to be that way. But the bride is furious. And I was so nervous. And during the week, I began to realize, I was like, you know, I'm looking at this the wrong way. I'm looking at this as, oh, I hope I don't screw this up. And I had to flip it around and change it and begin to look at it as, man, I get an opportunity to join two people as one. I get an opportunity to stand there and serve them Holy Communion for the first time as a couple, as one flesh. And I began to think about it differently. And I can tell you, I was more nervous the Saturday before the wedding Then I was yesterday, five minutes before we had it, because my mind had changed. There was a shift in the way I looked at it. I realized I don't have to do this wedding. I get to do this wedding. God has allowed me to do something that is, it's mystical. Even the vows, some of the vows say this is a mystical union. God allowed me to be a part of this mystical union of two people becoming one flesh. How cool is that? But it was robbed. I was being robbed because of the way I was thinking about it. See, we don't have to lead people to Christ. We get to lead people to Christ. We don't have to read our Bibles. We get to read our Bibles. We don't have to pray to God. We get to pray to God. We don't have to come in the presence of God on Sunday morning. We get to come into the presence of God on Sunday morning. So it's it's a total change of the way we look at it. But are are we affected to the point that we become effective? where we're actually being used to change people's lives. And I think sometimes we just need to change the way we look at it. Is God using us to produce fruit for the kingdom? Are we becoming more fruitful in your life? Is there life change taking place? If you looked at your life now from a year ago, are you closer to the image of Christ now than you were a year ago? Now, if you're a new believer, believer, you know, maybe you got saved yesterday. It's going to take a little time. It takes a little time to grow fruit, okay? You don't plant today and harvest tomorrow. But if you hang in there and you're pressing into God, you're giving God time, then over time you're going to see fruit produced in your life. And it will grow and it will grow and it will grow. And the cool thing about it is Genesis 1 says this, when God created everything, the seed of the fruit was contained in the fruit. So that even from the beginning of time, God has used the seed of fruit to create more fruit. So that the fruit God is producing in your life is ultimately going to produce more fruit and more fruit and more fruit, not just in your life, but in all the seed that you sow for the kingdom. That makes sense? We all here? Some of you are meditating, I can tell because your eyes are closed. (laughs) But that's okay. I know you're soaking it in. You're soaking it in. It's good. It's good. And so we get to see that there's fruit being produced. How about this? Is our, this is a touchy subject, is our money going to advance the kingdom? Is our money going to advance the kingdom? Is that, if we look at our checkbook, is our money helping to advance the kingdom of God? I'm not telling you you got to give everything you got. But are we, are we helping to advance the kingdom of God? Are we giving, not just to the church, but are we giving to people so that people in need, so that they can be helped? So I believe that's an act of a surrendered life. Um, how about children? Those of you who have children, those of you who are in college, you don't, and maybe you don't have children yet, But those of you who have children understand this. Whose hands are our children in? Whose hands are our children in? Have we given them to God? Have we surrendered them to God? Or are we trying to hold on to them? Because we live, so many parents live in fear and bondage to the thought of actually surrendering their children to God. It's one of the hardest things you have to do. And then one of the things we've got to remember is 
Man, how much better are they in God's hands than ours? Man, that's a hard thing to do, to let go of your children. Some of you are like, I don't know what he's talking about. You know, you're like 19, you don't have any kids, you're not even thinking about a wife. One day, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. But the best place they can be is in the hands of God, a loving father. And it's absolutely amazing how we try to hold on to things when they're so much better in the hands of God, in the hands of God. I want to look at Matthew real quick. Matthew 13, 44. I'll give you a second to get there. Read you this quick little parable, but I think there's so much in this little parable that we can learn about, about Christ and about surrender. Matthew 13, 44 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now look, when you read that, and we're thinking about how much will it cost. Now this is the interactive part of the sermon, but how much did it cost this man to buy the treasure that was in the field? Everything. And it cost him everything. But what did he gain? Everything. He got so much more than what he gave up, but he had to be willing to give everything. Now, if I asked you, if we were to take a poll in this room right now, and I were to say, how many of you believe that if you give everything to God, you'll receive much more in return? I guarantee you that most people would raise their hand. Will we not? Most of us would go, oh, yeah, God, give me something. Yeah, God will do it. Yep. Can't outgive God. You know, we would do that. We would be the first ones to raise our hands, and we would say, yes. But somehow that hasn't sunk in here yet. See, the Bible says that it's from the, the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Bible says that it's uh, from the heart that all the issues of life spring forth. So that when we're not living this surrendered life, it's because of something deeper than us just mentally consenting to God and saying, yeah, God will do it. God, God, yes, you can't outgive God. I understand that. I understand that. And so we've got to have this flip, this different. Remember last week we talked about the reason that our desires don't line up with God's desires is because our perception is wrong. Our perspective is wrong. And so we've got to begin to see it the way God sees it. Now I want to flip over. We're going to come back there so you can stick a pen or your finger or something right there. We'll be back there here shortly. But I want to read something to you out of the book of Revelation in chapter 3. And then everybody goes, ooh, Revelation. You know, everybody freaks out when you read Revelation because you're like thinking it's something. But this is just practical stuff. I mean, this is good stuff. Now I want to read to you out of chapter 3. And we're going to begin in verse 15. This is Jesus, Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea. Verse 15 says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. And 17 says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But listen to this, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now understand where this scripture is coming from. Jesus is speaking to the church of Laodicea. And Laodicea was known for three things. It was known to be a banking center. There was a lot of commerce. It was a very prosperous Roman town. And so when they were taken and they, he's talking about gold, they understood gold. 
They were a place that was well off. And yet Jesus says, I I ask you to come and buy gold from me that's been refined in the fire. It's been proven. It's been tested. It's been purified. He said, don't settle for something cheap. Don't settle for something that's not going to last you. Don't settle for something that you can't take with you. If you will come to me, I will give you gold that will last forever. I'll give you treasure that moth and rust cannot destroy. I'll give you things that you cannot attain on your own. He's saying, come to me and buy this pure gold, buy this treasure that you can't get anywhere else. The other thing that they were known for was for a fabric that they produced. They used it for clothing and they used it for carpets. And he's saying, listen, you think that you can cover your nakedness. You think that you're, you've got it covered because you can make this fabric and you can clothe yourself. And he says, listen, why don't you come and buy white garments from me so that you can really cover your shame? They were trying to justify themselves. They were trying to do something for themselves only God could do. And so he tells the church of Laodicea, why don't you come and buy garments that will really cover your sin nature? And it's only found in Christ. It's only found in Jesus himself. The next thing that he said was in that scripture, and by salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Now they were also known, the third thing they were known for is eye salve. It was a salve that people would come and it was, it was great because it would cure all kinds of eye disorders. It would cure all kinds of things. When people would have trouble with their eyes, they would come to Laodicea to get this eye ointment. And they would put it on their eyes. And yet Jesus says, listen, you make this eye ointment and you think you're all that. And yet you are absolutely blind. Because see, here's our problem as people. Even when we are poor, even when we don't have a dime to our name, even when we don't have enough money to know where our next meal's coming from, we do not recognize our poverty. We don't recognize it. Because our poverty is so much more than the things that we have. Our poverty is so much more than the things we can attain. Listen to the definition of poverty. It says a state of being inferior or of insufficient amount. State of being inferior. Listen, in the United States, even if you're the poorest of the poor, you're better off than most people. The United States people, most people are not inferior or have an insufficient amount of things. What we do have is an inferior amount and an insufficient amount of God. We lack that. We need that. Listen, it is the only thing that is going to really satisfy. It's just like Bo said. He said, I had more money, I had more stuff, and I was miserable. I was miserable. I was miserable. And then I love the way he said the other, he's like, I'm broker than I've ever been. (laughs) I was like, yay, I know. It's like, I'm broker than I've ever been. He's like, but I'm happier than I've ever been. I'm richer than I've ever been. Why? Because he has found what it means to surrender to Christ and he's found the treasure that only comes in those kind of riches. Right? Yeah. All right, good, fun, good stuff. All right. So that what we've got to begin to do is we've got to get to a place where we begin to see more clearly. Look at the guy back in Matthew 13, 44. This guy goes and he sells everything he had so that he could buy this field. But the cool thing about it is it says he went with joy. He went with joy. Now, we think about surrender. We think about giving God everything that we have. And the last thing we think about is joy. 
That's the last thing we think about. But this guy went with joy to sell it all. Why did he do that? It's because he knew that the treasure was there. He saw the value in the field. See, I believe that the eye ointment we need is to be able to see the real value that is in giving everything to Christ. Does that make sense? It's the value of giving everything to Christ, of surrendering it all to him. See, we, it's like we wear these blinders. I want to tell you a perfect example of this is the children's story of the emperor's new clothes. Have you ever remember that story when you were growing up? The emperor's new clothes. The guy, he gets these two guys and they come in and they begin to tell him he's wearing beautiful clothes. Man, those things are amazing. And he's just walking around. And then finally a child goes, you don't have anything on. He was walking around with no clothes. He was naked. And I thought about that and I thought about how similar that relates to where we are. We think we've got everything we need and yet even in the most spiritual and the most holy one of us, there's something else that we need. We need more of God. We need to lay it all at his feet and allow him to have his way in our life. I think one of the biggest problems is that we fear that we'll give up more then we'll get in return. We fear that if I give God everything, deep down inside, if we boil it down, we fear that if I surrender all to him, then ultimately I'll get robbed. Ultimately, I won't get everything that I want. And somehow I'll be left wanting. But this guy went and he gave with joy. He went and he gave, uh, gave everything he had because the value was there. There was no doubt in his mind that the value was there. Now, the opposite of this guy would have been the young ruler, the rich ruler, uh, the rich young ruler. He's got several different names that he goes by, some aliases. But here he is. He comes and he says, good teacher, what is it that I have to do to enter the kingdom of heaven? What is it that I need to do? And he says, Jesus tells him, you know, love your, uh, honor your mother and father. Love you. And he tells him these things. And he says, I've done all those. What else you got, Jesus. And Jesus says, go and sell everything you got and then come back. And then you'll be perfect. Then then maybe you can get into the kingdom of heaven. And what does he do? He walks away sad because he was a man of great wealth. Now, let me ask you this. Do you really think Jesus needed his stuff? Do you really think Jesus was, was out? He didn't have anything for lunch, so he needed a little bit of food? No. Jesus didn't need his stuff, didn't even want his stuff. What he wanted was him. He wanted him. He wanted his heart. God doesn't need your stuff. He needs you. He needs you. He needs you. He desires you. He loves you. I mean, so many times in the Bible, Jesus would walk up on a crowd and he would see them and they're just disoriented. They're disorganized. And he'd look at them and he'd say, you know, they're just a sheep sheep without shepherds. And he'd say, he'd have compassion on them. No matter how tired he was, he had compassion on them. You know what moves Jesus to compassion? You. What moved Jesus to the cross was you. You know what moved? What moved Jesus to the cross? And the Bible even says he went for the joy that was set before him. Now, can you imagine that? Jesus going to the cross with joy? Jesus giving all, including his life, With joy? How could he do that? For the joy that was set 
before him, he knew that it meant being with you for eternity. He gave everything. And now we have the same opportunity to do the same. See, it's not a negative. It is a positive. It is a good thing. It is not, it's like the word repentance. We hear repent and so many people have said turn or burn. We view it negatively. Listen, repentance is a gift. That was the good news. When Jesus came preaching the good news, it was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. God didn't have to give us a chance, but we have one. And so we begin to view this totally different. Then we begin to see that if I sell all, I become more like this man who sold everything he had and bought this field. I know that my treasure is sure. I can be like Christ who gave all. And it looked like to the world he was defeated. But right now he sits at the right hand of God with everything else at his feet. And God's desire is that you would be the same way. His desire is that I would be the same way that I would give all, that God could exalt me, that God could exalt you to the place that he desires for you to be. And do you not think that when you do that, that you will be fulfilled? You'll be fulfilled. God will fulfill your desires. Now, one thing I want to say, and we're about to wrap this up, is I want to tell you, listen, this is a process. This is something, you know, the commercial with the easy button. There's the easy button that you push, you know, it's supposed to make everything. This has no easy button, okay? This is a process that we go through. We can't judge people by where they are today. We need to look at where they've been. We need to look at where they've come from. And we need to see that they're going through the same process we are. We're going through the same sanctifying process where God is creating them to be more and more like him. Now, it doesn't make sense to us. That's why they call it faith. It doesn't make sense that I can give 90% or I can live off of 90% better than I can live off of 100%. It does not, does that, does that make sense? No, it does not make sense, but it's the truth. It is the truth. It does not make sense that if I will simply lose my life, I'll find it. Does that make sense? If I give it all away, that I'll be happier. But we just heard a testimony from a man who his own testimony is, I found this to be true. I found this to be true. But see where we have to get to is beginning to understand what this means for each one of us. See, I can't sit here and say, surrender for you, 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 and all of you is this. Surrender is this for you. It looks different for all of us. See, for some of us, giving up two hours on Sunday and doing it consistently might be a huge act of surrender, right? Just getting out of bed, not cutting the alarm off and being there on Sundays, every Sunday. That may be a huge step of surrender for you. For some of us, it might be picking up our Bible. How many of us don't, I mean, we just don't do it. We don't do it every day. But the word of God is living in that. It's sharper than a double-edged sword and we need to be reading it. We need to be in it. That might be an act of surrender. I don't know what it is for you. I mean, I remember times when I was first starting to really live for God, I remember times literally sitting in the recliner with the braids on the television and I'm looking at my Bible on the coffee table going, golly, I don't want to read that. I mean, just being honest, I did not want to read it, but I knew if I don't pick that thing up, I'm not going to last. This relationship I have with God is not going to last. For some of us, just simply reading the Bible might be an act of surrender. And that's a great act of surrender. For some of us, it might be starting a prayer life where we're actually talking to God. God desires to hear you, but he also desires to speak to you. It may be establishing some dialogue with God. 
It might be deciding to do something different with your finances. I don't know. I mean, I'm throwing these out there. You know what it is for you. What does it look like to you to surrender? What does it look like for you to say, I'm taking another step with God. I'm going to do this because I know that if I do, it'll pay off. I know that if I do, and it may not even make sense here, but there's something in my spirit that says, if I do this, I'll get more than I could ever give up. And we have to search our hearts and figure out what that is for each one of us and know what that is. See, for some of us, surrender might be letting go of a relationship that's taking us down the tubes. For some of us, it might be letting go of bitterness and anger that is robbing us of the life that God desires for us to have. And it's putting that at the foot of the cross and saying, God, you take it. It's yours. It's not mine. It is yours. I don't know. What does it look like for you as you ponder that? I do know this, that there are some of us here, some of us, me included, who may be swimming upstream. And life is a struggle because we're swimming against the desires of God for our life. And the thing about it is, if you're swimming upstream and it's hard and it's painful and it hurts and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're ready to do something different, all you have to do is turn and begin to swim in the stream of God and allow Him to begin to help you. As we surrender to Him, He begins to change our hearts. The last question I'll ask you is this. What would it look like if we were all surrendered to God? What could God do? Three, what do we have? 120, 130, 40 people here today. If we, including me, would sell out for God and just simply say, God, here it is. Here it is. Take it. Just take it and do what you need to do with it. Amen.